I'll talk to you about the foolishness of the power of the crucifixion. One of the greatest contradictions in the human mind is what happened at the cross. Now, we're going to go back and start in John chapter 12 because Jesus introduces us to the greatness, the glory of the cross. In John chapter 12, will you stand with me, please? And let's read together verses 27 to 33. John chapter 12. You're right in the way. Can I get you to scoot over when we over that way? There we go. Good. John chapter 12, verses 27 to 33. Let's read together out loud. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, he said, signifying what death he should die. Let's pray. Father, the death that your son died is the focus of our message this morning. It is really the only message to preach. Because everything else is cream. Everything else is a cherry. Everything else is just fluff compared to the core truth of what we need in this world. God, I pray that you would help me preach this morning like you would preach if you were here. I pray that every person would hear the word of God with a hunger, and would wake up and would be aware of just how serious this message is. And I ask that you would bless us with your presence, Lord, that we would know we have heard from you, and that, Lord, there's something wrong with us. We need Jesus Christ. We don't need him hanging on a cross somewhere. We don't need him as an icon in our homes. We need him ruling and reigning in our hearts, saving and completing every life. Lord, would you please bless the hearing of your word. I don't know who's saved or who's lost. I know I'm saved. But everybody in this room needs to be able to answer, where will they go when they die? And it's all answered in how they deal with the cross. Bless these truths this morning, the preaching of the word, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, what we just read and what, we talk, what we're talking about is the most foolish thing that has ever happened in the course of the history of mankind. Now... Most people think that the most foolish thing that has happened in history was when Donald Trump was elected. Some people may believe that the most foolish thing was when the British people voted to leave Europe. But that's not the most foolish thing that has ever happened. What we're going to read about drove a young man named Patrick to return to the very people that had captured him and enslaved him for six years back in 400 AD, and he decided, I'm going to go back to those people. What we're talking about this morning drove a young married fisherman named Peter to leave his job and his boat and his nation to go and preach to anyone who would listen about what happened at the cross. And what we're, what we're talking about this morning transformed a murderous Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus into probably the greatest Christian who ever lived named, Saul, named Paul. Now, what was the most foolish and yet most successful thing that ever happened in the history of mankind? It was the crucifixion, which we just read Jesus talk about. You see, we read what Jesus said, not what some man says happened, but what Jesus said was going to happen. If you'll look down there in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus speaking, except a corn of wheat, just one seed, shall fall into the ground, and what? Unless that seed dies, it always will abide alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. These are the words of Jesus. Evidently, the cross 
is something we don't really fathom. Jesus says, we expect it with nature, but we don't expect it with God. Go back to verse 23. Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be now, that, that tells you right there, the cross is not something to be ashamed of. It is something that is so glorious, so beautiful, so amazing. Not because of the torture. and because We, we just read the verse, it's our memory verse, that we don't look at the things which are just normally seen. We see what's really going on. Because the Bible tells us that the cross was not just death. It was giving the gift of eternal life. The cross is glorious. The cross was necessary. Look in verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall, shall fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. Meaning that it was necessary. It has to happen. It is also the opposite of what you would want to believe. Look at verse 25. He that loveth his, his life shall what? Yeah. You hold on to the things that you think are important. Guess what? You will lose every one of them. But if you let go and give it to God and say, God, my life, my plans, my family, my future, if I, my sins, if I let you have them, God turns it all the way around. He that hateth his life. And you've got to get to the attitude where you say, I've got to stop focusing just on me. I hate the priority of me. He that hateth this, his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's the opposite. I want God, uh, most of our flesh and our normal attitudes, I want God to honor me. I want God to notice me. But God says, no, no, I want you to notice my son, and I'll honor you if you'll follow him. It's the opposite of what we expect. It is the most impossible thing ever attempted. Look back there in verse 27. He says, now is my soul troubled. And if Jesus is troubled, it shows something bigger than we can imagine is about to happen. He wasn't just going to die. You've got to understand, Jesus was not afraid of death. Jesus was not running from pain. He was running from our sin. The most horrendous, the darkest, the most wicked thoughts, the most, most unimaginable deeds were all going to be blamed on him. He says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Am I going to cry out, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this cause came, us, came I unto this hour. So, Father, I ask you, glorify thy name. And God responded and said, I have and I will again. Down to um, <clears throat> verse, verse uh, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be defeated. Isn't that a good thing? I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw a few men unto me. Is that what he said? You know what? Some impossible things were done at the cross. Amen. It reached not only out to the people who were there, but it reached into history and into the future, and it draws how many people? It can save anybody and everybody. I can draw all men. I mean, it's most impossible thing ever attempted. Paul here tells us that it separates two kinds of people in the world. I need you to go now to our main scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul reminds us of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he draws a line between only two kinds of people in the world. I know I've seen those t-shirts that says, there are only two kinds of people in the world, the Irish and those who wish they were. But those aren't the kind of people we're talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that there is a difference between those who are humbled and changed by the crucifixion of Jesus and those who think it's boring. Paul warns that how you react to the cross, how you see what happened that day 2,000 years ago, how you see it determines your destiny. Not the fact that you have a cross on your wall. Not the fact that you may carry one in a book. Not the one that you may have tattooed on your arm. But the one that where the Son of God died and you brokenly cried out and says, I need what he offered there. How you react to that cross will determine your eternity. And that's a long time. So, 
what happened at the cross is foolishness. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It doesn't make sense. Chapter 1 and verse 18 there in 1 Corinthians says, For the preaching of the cross, guess what I'm doing this morning? I'm preaching the cross. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what is it? Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. It will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, the careful, the analytical mind. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe, that guy that can copy things perfectly? Where is the disputer, the arguer, the debater of this world? Hath not God at the cross made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom never knew God. They can't, you can't find God under a rock. You can't find God in the stars. You can't find God in between the DNA molecules. The world by wisdom knew not God. You know what? God, it pleased God by the foolishness of what I'm doing right now, by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. For the Jews, wow, they require a miracle, a sign, a wonder. They require you to raise somebody from the dead. And the Greeks, that's us Europeans. That's everybody who's not a Jew. It says, we Greeks, oh, we want something to sound smart. We want things to all just make sense. They seek after wisdom, but we don't, we don't, we don't make anybody happy. <laughs> whenever you give your testimony, whenever you give the gospel, somebody always say, well, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who will find me a husband. <laughs> no matter what you say, they're going to look at you and go, well, that's not what I'm looking for. And you just Look what it says. Everyone listening to you, giving the gospel, will always say, nah, nah, nah. So what? Verse 23 says, we don't please the Jews, we don't please the Greeks, we just preach Christ what? Now, under the Jews, that's a stumbling block. It, it just it upsets them. And under the Greeks, it is what? It doesn't make sense to us. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. Because the foolish thing, foolishness of God, if you think anything is foolish with God, let me tell you, that is wiser than all of men. And the weakness of God is if God was weak. Whatever you think he's weak at is still stronger than all of mankind. For ye see your calling, and you're going to hear it in just a moment, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many Einsteins, not many Stephen F. Hawkins, not many mighty, not many Katie Taylors, or uh, what's this jerk who's the Irish... Uh, kickboxers, a filthy mouth. What's his name? Connor McGregor's. You're not going to see many of them getting humble enough for them to want to get saved. Not many noble. Not many people who have a lot of money and have the fancy cars and drive the BMWs. And not many of them are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound all the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, those are the things that God has chosen, yea, and the things which are, they don't even exist, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So what happened to the cross makes no sense. It's absolutely what happened. Here is an unwanted Savior dying a horrible death at the hands of God 2,000 years ago for an ungrateful world. And then being buried, not in his own tomb, but in another man's tomb, sealed inside with a one-ton stone. Doesn't make sense at all. How is that good? Every apostle, everyone who ever thought they were going to live and die at the side of Jesus walked away from him when he was on that cross. And they said, I'm not following him. This doesn't make any sense. He's supposed to be king. He's supposed to be ruling. He's supposed to be commanding an army. We should be winning. And when you look at the cross, it does not make sense, does it? It was no accident. It's not a wrongful death. I notice how, you know, somebody dies and, and, and they'll say uh, it was, it was a, um, uh, uh, somebody will get, instead of calling him a murderer, they'll say uh, they committed a wrongful death. That's complicated. <laughs> There are deaths that aren't wrong. Anyway, uh, it was, but people call it accidents or uh, um, uh, sometimes an unfortunate tragedy. 
But the cross was a planned event, planned out before the world was ever created. And that's crazy. Before God made the universe, he says, before I even get this thing started, I'm going to have to go down there and die. <laughs> that just blows my mind. It is the exact opposite of what we want God to do to help us. We want the good times to come. We want the sunny weather. We want people to give us money, to give us love. We want to be liked and healthy. We want a fortune cookie God. You are so handsome and everyone will look up to you. <laughs> we want all of God's attention on us. We want God to look at our needs. We want God to understand our situation. You know what? All of history focuses not on you. I don't care if you go to McDonald's. Remember that ad? It's all about you. All of history led to and focuses all attention on one crazy event where God would come down and die like a man. That's history. We want God to work out some sort of agreement with us. You know, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. That's how we want to talk to God. I'm, I'm proving myself. Just give me a little more time, God. Let me, let me show off some of my good works to you. Maybe, maybe they'll count to discount all the other ones that are bad, you know. I want to I point out, God, I did a good thing here today. That's how we want God to take notice of us, don't we? God, don't you appreciate I'm trying to be good? But the cross only shows us for what we really are at our best. You know what we are? I want you to remember around that cross that Jesus was hanging on. Remember he said, if I be lifted up. He was not talking about these praise and worship bands. You know how they go, you know, let's lift up Jesus. When he says, if I be lifted up, he says the next verse, it says he was talking about how he was going to die. So when Jesus got lifted up on the cross, think about that crowd that was around him crying out, crucify him. And yet where, that crowd, where, where was that crowd just the week before? They were standing in line waiting for him to touch their eyes, to pick them up after, uh, out of uh, um, crippled states, healing their leprosy, feeding them by the tens of thousands, there, the very people that he had helped and loved and ministered to and, and had reached into their dark world, cried out for Jesus to die. The best politicians ever assembled. You had Pilate and Herod. You had centurions. You had courts of law standing there. And they're all debating, what do we do with this man? Oh, he's, I don't think he's that bad. Well, Jesus, you know, he's a rebel riser. He's sitting causing problems. I'm not sure. The politicians ended up deciding, saying, all right, Give him to the crowd. Let the crowd kill him. Best of politicians. Look at the cross and give up. The best theologians, the most holy living of religious zealots, the Pharisees, stood there and said, he's got to die. So religion, politics, the common people at our best. You know what we are? We're Bible rejectors. We are God-haters. We are Jesus-trashers. We are sinners who don't want God. I didn't know I had that list. The truth is, and I know it's quiet, there is nothing about us to be proud of, if you be honest. You're in 1 Corinthians. Go back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse... Actually, sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 13. Acts 3.13. The truth be told, we put Jesus on the cross. We killed him. Acts chapter 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but ye denied not just a man, but you denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer in His place to be granted unto you. Desired Him to go free. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. There's nothing in us to be proud of. You say, well, if I had been there, if you'd been there, you would have cried out the same. We are sheep, man. If the crowd's going that way, where do we go? Same way. 
I want to tell you, the gospel is only about the cross. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. Gospel is about the cross, the greatest news ever preached, the greatest thing ever to come out of a person's mouth, angel or human, is the gospel about the cross. And it's only about the cross. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren. He's talking to a Christian church. He's talking to the church of Corinth. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Don't be doing all kinds of different versions of the gospel. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, arguments, YouTube channels. Now this I say, that every one of you is out there saying, I'm following Paul, and I'm of Apollos, oh, and I'm of Peter, Cephas, and ah, I'm holy, I'm of Christ. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. Now, down to verse 22. Again, the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, and we don't satisfy anybody. We preach Christ crucified. So the gospel is not about baptism. Notice, somebody saying, well, I was baptized by so-and-so. Who cares? Paul said, Christ didn't call me in the greatest Christian who ever lived, the greatest preacher probably you ever preached, the greatest soul winner, the greatest missionary, said, I'm not baptizing anybody because baptism does no good for you. It actually damns you. Say, well, I was baptized. That's not the question. Are you born again? The gospel's not about, oh, oh, why don't you come get baptized? You know, if baptism did save, I would stop the traffic, I would make people get out of their cars, and then walk them through a baptismal pool so to make sure they're all in. Yeah. Amen. A baptism doesn't make anybody saved. Gospel's not about theological questions. Somebody says, well, I'm following Peter. Oh, well, I'm following Paul. I'm following all these different people following different, I mean, they, that was their YouTube channels back then. Okay. Mine has a beard, and it's really wisdom-looking. <laughs> not about good works or your best efforts, and it's definitely not about following or venerating Paul or Peter or Mary or Patrick. You know what the gospel is about? It's about two rough pieces of wood that held the only perfect man who ever lived until he died. Forget about the modern artwork that they have of the cross that makes it pretty it makes it so smooth. It makes it, you want to wear it around your neck. Now, if you're wearing a cross, amen, that's fine. But let me tell you, the cross killed somebody. It's something that if somebody really looked at it, and if it really looked like it did, they go, why are you wearing that? It was invented by the Greeks. It was perfected by the Romans. It was used for the worst of criminals. The public example of a man of, of human justice was carried out for the worst of offenders on the cross. When they put somebody on the cross, it was somebody who was hardened, a repeat offender, who just never changed. There was no hope for them ever getting changed. And the entire process of crucifixion didn't happen in a few hours. It took days. They stretched it out, and they pushed somebody to the point of death and then brought them back. And they kept doing that for days until they died. They would be whipped to the point of death, mocked and spit upon and tortured by a series of beatings that, 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 would, be, uh, that would force them to, to, to endure until the last hour where they would be forced to carry 200 pounds of wooden uh, um, planks up a hill where they would be nailed onto the cross. They had to carry their own cross. And that criminal was laid down on that frame of an old rugged cross, nailed to that cross in some of the most anguishing pain you've ever imagined. You have some points in your body that are super sensitive. One of them is right here, not here. Anytime you see a Catholic picture of the, of the nail going through the hand, it won't work because 
that part of your hand is weak. If you put a nail through there and if you support the weight of your body on that nail, it rips right through all the flesh. But one of the strongest joints in your body is right there. You try to pick up 200 pounds, you can do it because of that joint. But there is a tendon and a nerve that goes right through that joint that when that nine-inch nail is driven through that hand, you will wish you died. And every tiny twitch would make fire burn through your body and through your mind, and you would scream, and you would scream, and you would scream. That's, cross. That's the cross. There, there, and then through the middle of your feet, there are, I don't know how many, 20-some-odd bones in your feet, and there's a position right there that goes right through them where there's a set of nerves there that you can't imagine the pain. And then you'd raise, it's not over. Once they nail that person that cross, they then slide him over to a hole in the ground, it's about two feet deep. They lift that criminal up on that cross and they drop him into that hole. And the Bible says every joint in a, in a human body would come out of because you become so stiff. They say one of the worst things to happen in a car accident is when you see the accident coming, you stiffen up and you hurt more. Well, as that person is gotten ready to be dropped into that hole, they stiffen up, and then when the, the shock of that drop, every joint comes apart, and they're left to die. That's the cross. And you know what? That's the gospel. See, that doesn't make sense. Now you're getting the message. See, the cross proves that we, it's, it's, this is not God showing off how great, and he already did that when he made the universe. He already did it when he made DNA and he made you alive. Life is a miracle. God doesn't have to show off anymore. God has to fix sin. Amen? So when we learn about the cross and when somebody preaches the cross and when you're giving the gospel to your family and you're giving the gospel to a coworker or you're giving the gospel to somebody at school, you know what you're doing? They're going to laugh at you because this doesn't make sense, does it? But it's the only thing that saves. And it's the only thing that will convict the heart that that's what I deserve because that proves just how wicked I am. Was Jesus a hardened criminal? Was Jesus worthy of dying on that cross? Was Jesus, did he do anything that merited him being punished for anything? No. We do. There's some bad news for everyone on this planet. It's worse than the bad news of getting cancer, and I think that's pretty bad news. And somebody came up and said, I have to tell you, you have cancer. That'd be bad news, wouldn't it? I think the bad news I'm about to tell you about is worse than finding out about financial ruin. Finding out that you've been abandoned by your parents, that'd be pretty bad. I heard about the kid who said, my parents moved three times when I was growing up, and I found them every time. <laughs> but it'd be awful being abandoned by your parents, amen? By your wife, by your husband. I mean, that'd be bad news. Somebody leave you a letter saying, I'm gone, I'm never coming back. Wouldn't that be awful? Worse than losing your eyesight. Worse than losing your hearing, or how about your ability to walk, your ability to drive? That's bad news. But that's not the bad news that you need to be concerned with. The bad news is we're in trouble with God. You can laugh all you want. You can think I'm stupid for spending my time trying to tell people they're wicked, they're lost, they need to be born again. And, and you say, I'm not doing that, let me tell you. Then I don't know if you're saved. Because salvation changes you where you say, you know what? I'm on the different side. I'm on the foolish side. Amen? I think we all need to wear some t-shirts that says, I'm a nut. And on the back saying, screwed on the right bolt. Mankind is in trouble with God. We're not in trouble with Mother Earth. Have you heard all these weirdos out there? Mother Earth is going to punish us. We've mistreated her. We're not in trouble with Earth. Mankind has dug our own grave before an all-holy God who will judge sin and will punish sinners who had no time for him. And you know what? God will have no time for you when you stand before him and say, but God! And the Lord will say, I don't even see him. You say, that's cruel. No, the love of God was he did something on the cross and you rejected it. 
God will judge the attitudes, the actions, the thoughts, the intentions of every man, woman, and child. Go to John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that gets baptized hath everlasting life. Is that what it says? Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Because a thief on the cross couldn't get baptized. He that believeth on the Son hath how long a life? Everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son of God, the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's already over him. Look at Romans 1. Go to the right, find Romans chapter 1. In verse 18, Romans 1, 18. You know what my, my burden is? Some people say, well, I would never go out in that parade. That parade, I, I wouldn't demean myself to go along and honor Sunday school and church. and Daniel. Let me tell you, you need to do that because the world needs to see some Christians who are willing to be a fool. But for the first time in our lives, the right kind of fool. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God, not the love of God, there's too much preaching, and I love the preaching on the love of God. I'm never going to tell you, don't ever tell somebody that God loves them, but let me tell you, they also need to know they're in trouble with God. Amen? Yes, amen. The wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against not just a little bit of ungodliness, not the worst of ungodliness, but all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in their unrighteousness. You know what the truth is? Everyone knows they're in trouble with God. Everyone knows they're guilty. There is none righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. You know what Why Solomon said? There's none that doeth good and sinneth not. You can't sit there and say, we don't I'm doing my best. I'm sure you are. But God says it's not enough. We have three things. We have a little display over there. This is one, two, three. Three things that God cannot do. One of them God cannot lie. God cannot change. And the third one is God can allow, cannot allow sinners into heaven. Or else it'll be just as bad a hell hole up there as it is here. Someone's got to change. So here, the wrath of God is on you. That's the bad news. We're messed up. One of these days is going to be poured out into this world. And when it happens, there will be countless billions who will wish they could die. And they will never die. You know, in eternity, in hell, people will never die. And they wish they could. We're messed up on the inside. You can clean up your outside. You can comb your hair, put that grease in there, you know, that fancy gel. You can fool everyone around you. But inside, you and I are plain wicked. We're dark. We're sinful. We're in trouble for it. You ever, you ever think about what you think about? You ever worry about someone discovering what you dream about? You ever struggle with the dark thoughts, the anger, the way you just lie without thinking about it? Do you ever think that all the lustering and adultery that's in your heart is okay? Do you ever think that? Do you really expect that God doesn't see all the flirting and the playing with fire ladies that you do with the way you dress and the way you talk to the boys? We're messed up on the inside, amen? Our generation is just out. Years ago, it was all covered up. It was all hidden. You didn't know about it. Now it's on every channel. It's in every corner of advertising. It's everywhere. We're broken. We're messed up. Matter of fact, there's absolutely nothing we can do to fix things. I'll tell you this, we're doomed. We're in a sinking ship, and we're going to spend eternity separated from God, Separated from heaven in a place called hell in the lake of fire. Without hope, that's the bad news. Now, if you, if you start to accept that, now I can tell you about the good news. Amen? See, the cross is the only thing that works. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter, back there, 1 Corinthians 1 to the right. Chapter 1 and verse 18 again. The cross is the only thing that will save. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's always going to be craziness, foolishness. But to us which, is, which are saved, 
It works. Amen. It is the power of God. It's the only thing that ever worked. Look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to make them better. Is that what it says? No. To make them more religious? No. To save them from the wrath to come. Them that believe. Look at verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us everything we need, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, that's being clean, and redemption. All your sins paid off. He's everything. So here's the truth. Oop, go back. God had to do everything to save us. You couldn't do anything. The cross has, has the power to save and restore a messed up sinful soul, and some of us are proof of that. Matter of fact, all of us are if you're saved. Only the gospel has the power to save people inside out and through and through. I don't have to worry about what this hand does. I don't have to worry about what this eye does anymore. I don't have to worry about anything because Christ died for sinners. Amen? You know what that means? I'm a sinner. But Christ died for me, and he rose again. He saved me. Now, I don't want to sin. But you know what? Somebody says, well, I think you've got to live it. I think you're a fool. Because if you could live it before, uh, after you got saved, then you could have lived it before. You can't live it, folks. And you will mess up. You can just trust Jesus did it all. He made it possible, and he finished the job. Only the gospel of what Christ did on the cross fixes us. Because it's not the end of the story. Um, let me take you to... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you already, which also you have received, Wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you've just believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, what would you preach, John, uh, Paul? I, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, he learned about it, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You know, the cross wasn't the end, was it? <clears throat> we can't go to Jerusalem and we can't go and go to the tomb and pay our respects to a body in the grave, can we? Because he's not there anymore. He's gone. He's back in heaven. And that's the good news. And if this event, when faithfully preached and presented by foolish-sounding, imperfect messengers, all over the globe people get excited. You know, I, I, I never get tired of listening to tell me about what Jesus did for me on the cross. I look forward to heaven. I love learning about heaven. I love watching history play out before my eyes. I've got nothing but, but everything to look forward to. But I can look forward to it because of one event in the past. And it's, that event is the power of God. All anyone has to do is just believe it. Christ died for you just like the Bible said he would. And he was buried and he rose again. You say, well, I believe that. Well, I bet you believe it up here, maybe. You learned it since you were a kid in religion class. But if you believe it down here, you'll be different. You'll be different. It's, you know, uh, I have too many examples. Paul said this, God forbid that I should glory, should get excited, save except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul loved it. Somebody says, preach, Paul. He says, I want to preach about the cross. I'm going to stand up and preach to the Athenians that somebody, the Son of God, died for their sin. All they need to do is believe it because the cross wins. <clears throat> Back there in chapter 1. You may be 15 years old. You may be 50 years old. Trying so hard to win at life. Somebody says, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's a lie. You're trying to win at life, trying to, in a marriage, I've seen, have you seen these, uh, that people queue up and they try to 
get these uh, in America, they're called Powerball lottos. Here, it's what? What are they called? Mega millions or billions? People are winning, trying to win 250 million euros, 300 million. They think they'd be a winner. It's a curse. It's a desperate curse. Especially if you lose your own soul. Look at verse 30 again. Chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, by faith, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Not one word about health. Not one word about a girlfriend. Not one word about money. Not one word about good looks. It's about the things that matter in the soul. There's so many people who can't go to sleep at night until they get four pills in their mouth. They can't sleep until they take a little evening nightcap. They can't get to work unless they pop some more pills. They can't, they can't go through life unless they got a bunch of people constantly pumping them up and telling them they're the best. There are people who can't live because they don't know Jesus Christ. Here, when we talk about the cross, we're talking about something that was meant for, for death and it ended up bringing eternal life. Whether you believe it or accept it or trust it, the cross is already won. I have found that the cross upsets people. I'm, I'm sure some of you are like, man, I wish you would have preached something nice this morning. <laughs> you know what? I think every place that calls itself a church ought to preach this message. Or don't call yourself a church. They're sitting in a church and they're talking about health, welfare, uh, prosperity, government on our side, and, and make sure we, we support the, um, uh, uh, the, the food aid. Going. If all of that is all you do, call yourself a society. But if you're a church, you'll preach the cross. And if you're a Christian, you'll preach the cross. But, you know, the, 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 the cross may offend some people, but it affects some of us blesses us. I was 17 years old when I got saved. I've never gotten over it. Never gotten over it. Blows me away that God would become a man named Jesus, just like me, walk this earth, smell like me, have to, have to, have to eat like me, have to put up with other people like I do. He did all that and then went all the way to the cross. He would let wicked religious and political men put him on that cross. And he did all that Willingly. It humbles me. Shuts me up. What can I say? How do I argue with that? It broke me seven, uh, 39 years ago. Pierced my unbelieving heart. Still humbles me. You know, when we have the Lord's Supper and we start thinking about stuff, man, and we start thinking about Jesus at the, at the Last Supper at the table saying, you know, I'm about to die, guys. When I die and when I leave, don't you ever forget me. Do this in remembrance of me. Not to keep the sacrifice going, but to remember me. You know, when we do that, all of a sudden you start thinking about every sin that he died for. It wasn't those Pharisees' sins. It wasn't those Roman sins. It wasn't those uh, uh, people's. It was my sins. What am I still doing playing with sin? It affected me. And I love hearing songs about the cross. You know, Probably there's, there's probably a quarter of all the songs in our hymnal mention the crucifixion, the cross, because it was a place of victory. It was a place where God saves sinners. It's still the power of God. Thankfully, it has won over all my objections, all my arguments. But you know what's true? It affected God the most. Remember, what was God looking at? He's looking at mankind, but instead of him looking at all the things we're trying to do that are right, he looked at his son, and when his son died, his son cried out, It is finished! And the Lord said, Yep. God said, I'll let him in now. Anybody who will believe what you did for him, I'll forgive him. Anybody who will follow you, I'll count them as my son. Wow. It affected God. You and I, I, I can't affect a light switch. I can look at that light switch all day long. I can dance in front of it. I can sing to it. It won't flip the switch. I make no influence nowhere, but the Son of God influenced God Almighty. So I look to Him, and I reap all the benefits. The only question is this. So it just leaves Jesus as the only one that, that we need to be right with God.
to be forgiven, to be made right. The only question is, does he win in the end of your life? Look back there in verse 17, because there is a gospel call. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. It is a call. It is a, it is a, um, uh, a pull. It is, it is a, um, an invitation, a summons. <laughs> summons is something like if you got from the, from the county courthouse, you know, you're required to appear before the judge. That'd be pretty serious, right? Well, here's the summons from God. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should lose its effect, be made not effect. Look down and uh, look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is of them that perish, but foolishness. But in us which are saved, it is the power of God. Down to verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of, the, of preaching, of calling to save them that believe. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. We're calling Jews, but that's a stumbling block to them. Unto the Greeks is foolishness. But unto them which are what? You say, Anna, I, I don't know if I'm part of the called. Are you listening to my voice today? Then you are called. Amen. You know what? If somebody's not here, and if they didn't want to be here, they're not called, they will die and die and, and end up in eternity in hell. If you want to be the called, hear the word. Hear the call that goes out to you and says, will you please be saved? It's not something that, you, that God expects you to just figure out on your own. It's not something you feel your way through. It is a passionate call, a summons, an invitation from God to sinners who otherwise would have no hope at all. i got to say this. It was not Patrick or Peter or Mary who calls to us saying, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said that. It was not Patrick who said, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. It was not Mary who said, believe on me. It was not Peter who said, trust me <laughs> or follow me. It was Jesus. It was Jesus who said all that. I wonder if you answered that calling yet. Not many mighty will. You know, if you're real smart, you know what the danger is? You think you're smarter than God. If you've got a lot of money, you think you don't need God. If you've got your family going right, and you've got your house all done up, and you've got your retirement taken care of, and you've got three cars, and you've got nobody enemies, you're, you know what? You won't need God. But the rest of us who are broken, messed up, lost, boy, we need Him. There are only four reasons why you don't get affected by the cross. One is because you're lost. The Bible real simply just says, if the gospel is hid to you, it's because you're lost. That ought to scare you. If this doesn't move you, it ought to scare you. Because the Bible says, I'm not going to take you there for time, but the Bible says, if our gospel doesn't make any sense to somebody, it's because they're perishing. That's why it's nice when somebody just gets you and shakes you and says, do you understand? Say it's because you're comfortable in your sin. You like the filth you watch. You, want, you like the attitudes you carry. You like the slop you put into your liver and into your uh, lungs and into your belly. Amen. You like the friends you keep. You like the language you use. No wonder you don't want to get saved. You know, a third reason why this message doesn't affect you? Because you believe you're not that bad. You know, I'm not that bad a person. You know, my saintly grandmother, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And lastly, it's because you're just plain stupid. <laughs> you say, can you talk like that? i got to talk like that because you won't wake up and think this serious. You know what? You'll never hear anybody else talk like that, but I will because that's what everybody in Valley College needs to hear. Look at 2 Thessalonians. Go there real quick and we're finished. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, 
didn't want it, God shall send them strong delusion. That's a craziness of mind that they should believe instead a lie. So if somebody doesn't believe the truth, that's just plain stupid that you would say, well, I think we all evolved from a cosmic burp. Folks, I wish, you knew him as, I wish you knew how much you needed Jesus. You don't need to go buy you a picture of Jesus to put on your wall. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. One day you will need him. And it will probably be too late that day where you finally say, all right, Lord, I'm ready. And the Lord will say, I never knew you. But according to the Bible, the Bible says today is a good day to get saved. If you're living and breathing, if you're enduring to listen to my message this morning, today is not too late. I tried to lift up the Lord Jesus. I tried to put him on that cross and for you to see him without pictures. I tried to get you in your mind eye to realize that that was for you. And if you just believe it, you can have the power of the crucifixion giving you eternal life. It's up to you to believe it. There are three kinds of responses. You can get upset, you can get thrilled, or you couldn't care less. Which one are you going to do? Will you bow your heads for just a moment? I want you to imagine dying right now. If your heart stopped, see, I'll talk to you this way. Not because I don't love you, not because I'm not preaching love. Because I want you to realize that, look, I know most of you probably claim to be saved. Most of you come to this church, praise God, but I don't know. And I would hate for you to come to church and the pastor never make you an uncomfortable enough and you to go, I don't know if I ever got saved. I kind of just slid in. <laughs> I want you to imagine dying right now. I want you to realize from that moment there will be no second chances. No time for prayer. No time to repent. No time to be sorry for all your sins. Your life and every chance to get saved will be lost. Is that how you want death to come to you? Or would you like to be ready? Do you want to stand before God as your judge? Or as your father who's waiting to meet you and greet you and say, well done. Believe the news that God sent his only begotten son for the likes of somebody like you. And, and, and let that sink down into your hearts and change you. Cry out to God. Ask him to save you. I got down on my knees 39 years ago. I didn't know it was the right thing or the wrong thing. I just knew I needed to get humbled. I, I prayed out loud and I asked God, be merciful to me to sinner and save me. I believe you died for me. And I got up off that floor knowing he was mine. Father, bless these thoughts, this truth. May we never be the same because of the cross. May we love it, rejoice over it. Think so highly of it that we're willing to be fools preaching. And if there's somebody not saved, I pray they come talk to me when we're through. In Jesus' name.